Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm truly honored to have as our conversation partner today, Wendy Alsop. She is a mother. She's a math teacher. She's an author of several books. She's actually a previous guest on the show. I'm so happy to have her back. Wendy, thanks so much for making time. Uh, thanks for having me back, Steve. No, it's it's our pleasure. Wendy, in our last conversation, you were pretty candid about a chapter in your life where you had an opportunity to observe mental illness up close and personal. Are you willing to share part of that story with us again? Sure. Yeah. So um, my ex-husband had the onset of symptoms of schizoaffective disorder about 11 years ago. It was a very intense time trying to troubleshoot that with him. Yeah, I learned a lot the hard way, things I wish I had known ahead of time. And one of the things that stands out and I remember most is just how few resources there were Mm -hmm. for spouses. Like I I went to NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness Support Groups, and there were a lot of parents and children, but no other spouses there. And I I found that the uh, being a spouse of someone in such intense issues uh, was a little different. Yeah, I'm burdened for it. And a lot of things I learned the hard way. And I hope that others can maybe find some guidance and more resources than I found at the time. Wendy, what's your theory? Why do you think that spouses are so underrepresented on, on this issue? That is a great question. I think that spouses can be the first casualty. Mm. So often with a parent or a child, you're not actually living with them. They're adult, but spouse, you're living with someone and someone who gets into some of these very intense situations. It's a spouse that would become the first enemy And the proximity of that relationship is just unsustainable with that Mm -hmm. intensity of antagonism going on. And I don't know if a lot of parents might have more endurance or maybe a little more distance or maybe because a parental relationship is uh, such a truly unconditional relationship where you were born into it. In a way that uh, spouses, I think, in our, our culture have more outs that maybe mm-hmm. a parent would feel like they have. So I think that the spousal relationship can often be the first casualty of mental illness. Hmm. Wendy, when did, at what point in your journey did you know that you were out of your depth, that you needed help, that you couldn't provide on your own, or maybe some more traditional resources like a, you know, like the care pastor at your church might be able to provide? It was at um, his second hospital stay. The first hospital stay, we thought um, it was just sleep deprivation um, and it seemed to get better, but it was at the second hospital stay when the the psychiatrist met me in the lobby and just said, I'm so sorry, because we knew at that point this was way deeper and more chronic than just sleep deprivation. And at the first round, my pastor had experienced psychosis from sleep deprivation, and he had a lot of encouragement and walked with us closely through it. But um, as it went on, my pastor, too, became, um, you know, what happens with psychosis is you just interpret relationships wrong. 
yeah, and there's a lot of paranoia, and mm. we were we were really in the middle of that, and so, you know, that's that's not something that you're well equipped in in seminary to know how to deal with someone who thinks you are an enemy planting messages against you. So, my pastor though at the time had a group of other pastors that he went to and really tried to brainstorm and figure out what he should do. I was seeking help and we, we limped along the best we could, but there was a lot of unknown territory in there. Wendy, what was it like to be on the receiving end of that diagnosis when you're standing in a position kind of delivering that hard news? It was, um, it was very hard to process. It was such an unexpected, shocking thing that it took me a really long time even to be able to enter any kind of logical processing of it. Hmm. It was just so out of my frame of reference. You know, it's it's like suddenly waking up and, and oh, I'm not on Earth. I'm actually, I've been living, I'm now on Mars. And now I've got to get used to this, this whole new environment. And there was just a lot of shock and processing and then a grief, grief over the life I thought I was living versus this new life that I was going to be living. Hmm. And how did you find your way forward from there? Did they, did they give you any next steps or did you kind of just feel like you were kind of isolated on the moon at that point? Yeah, I felt isolated on the moon. God in his kindness, though, um, in my community group at church, the one that was in my neighborhood, so I didn't wasn't deliberately going to this community group because of this couple, but it was led by a couple where both of them were um, therapists, mental health, uh, working in the mental health system. They were working with youth, adolescents and um, children, but they were well versed in mental health diagnoses and the the um, options that were available in the community and just became a lifeline for me to have someone I could process it with that I didn't have to explain everything to that could in fact actually explain some things to me. And I really just hold on to that as a gift of God's grace for me in that season when, you know, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And you had young kids at home at the time? Yeah, my boys were um, six and eight at the onset of symptoms. Forgive me if I'm pushing too hard here, Wendy, but when would, did it become clear to you that the relationship was untenable from a marital perspective? There came a point where um, he quit his antipsychotics and medicine and um and this was a product of the psychosis where he was just really, his brain was telling him different things. And it's such a tragic, unfortunate um, part of um, an illness where the main organ you would use normally to navigate a heart issue, you use your brain and logic to work with the doctor to figure out treatment. But it is the very organ that you would normally use to figure out treatment that needs the treatment. Mm. And so it was uh, with the 
psychosis in which at, at some point it switched where I became the enemy uh, instead of being the helper with him against the enemy, which was still traumatic for me, but it was not the same as once I became um, the enemy. And it was at that point that a few things happened where I had to file for legal separation and, um, you know, uh, separate myself until we could get to a place. And he eventually chose to divorce. And it was a few really rough years there in the middle before he did get consistently on medicine. And now we have a pretty good relationship. He's he's stable. We live in a different state now. I had to move home and he comes over every day. He has a relationship with their children. Um, we eat dinner together. It's really good for someone with schizoaffective disorder to be tied to reality. And so he does better if he mm-hmm. has daily interaction with us. And we've reached this new normal, which is way better. But it really was that tension of his unwillingness to be on medicine. And that tension was caused by the sickness. So I had compassion on it, but it also it had some really real ramifications in our lives at the time. Obviously, we're integrated people. We're, we're body, we're mind, and we're spirit together. Did you ever have people along the way kind of over-spiritualize your scenario and, and tell you that, that if you would pray a little bit harder or if your husband memorized the right verses, you wouldn't have these kind of problems? Well, I did a lot to myself. I'm thankful I didn't really... That was not how my Christian community responded or my pastors responded to me, but it was definitely latent in my own brain from my own upbringing. Um, where, where did I drop the ball? Clearly, I must have dropped a ball here. And if I could navigate this better, we could get out of it. But God freed me from that. And certainly through the book of Job, the book of Job was ministered a lot of grace to me as I wrestled with God over why these circumstances had come upon us. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't my church projecting that onto me. It was myself projecting it onto me. And I have a lot of self-condemnation, a lot lot of of self-doubt. And it's taken years for me to get past that. But now I really... I see God's goodness and um, how he's drawn us through it and changed us by it. And um, I feel much freedom from the guilt I used to feel. Wendy, knowing what you know now, what would you have said to the version of you that was was just coming out of that second hospitalization of your husband? If you could talk to the the you that was in crisis then, what, what would you say? I would say... Um, Plant your feet and brace yourself. It, it's going to be a storm, but you will make it through. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just trying to make the storm stop. I was like in this fight or flight. You know, how do I make this stop? How do I fight this off? How do I... um cure him how do i cure him what what's the right step for me to do should i change how i feed him you know is that would a gluten-free diet do it what you know would this medicine work would this medicine work would this therapy work and what i really just needed to do was rest Mm. and endure 
but I, I was really in a fight or flight um, scenario, which was really exhausting emotionally, mentally, physically. Thanks for sharing that. Wendy, what would you say to, to other spouses who their, their loved one might be navigating a mental health crisis right now? What, what would you, what would you throw them as a lifeline if they're feeling uh, overwhelmed and unsettled these days? Well, I would, I would encourage them that it's okay to lament the loss. And it took me a long time to give myself room to feel the grief um, over the death of what I thought my life would be versus what it became. And then, you know, there, when someone is, is really weak, then it, it seems to put so much pressure on the one who seems more stable to carry more and more weight. But you need a you need a community to help you carry that weight. I had a community that helped me carry the weight, um, but it's just not sustainable to carry that much extra weight on yourself by yourself. Um, so whether it's your children or whatever, and you know you can feel a lot of shame, like oh well, look at all of these others, especially in the church, all of these other Christian families. Uh, moms and dads are working together and, you know, I'm so embarrassed that my life is like this, but that's not, there are a lot of people out there like, just like you who also feel embarrassed and somebody needs to pop up and say, uh, yeah, my life's a mess and I need help. And then all of a sudden you'll have all these other people like, yeah, me too, me too, me too. And we come alongside together and can comfort and encourage one another and help each other shoulder these burdens. But we have to be honest about the burdens we're carrying. And if you're in a church that when you pipe up, you feel like you get the cold shoulder or people look down the nose at you, believe me, there are so many other churches that are doing it right. And go find the church with the poor, sick people. And boy, you will find a beautiful community that will help you carry your burdens. I'm in a church right now. We're all limping along, but we help each other. And the encouragement is so sweet and sincere and real. And to have someone else who's struggling deeply in their own way to put their arm around and me and pray in faith for me just ministers so much grace. Wendy, I love that. I love that image of, of limping because I think sometimes it can be hard for us as Christ followers to remember that two things can be true at the same time. We can be loved and, and limping. Like we can be, we can be wounded and still hopeful. Uh, I, I I know that there have been seasons in my life where I'm like, well, if I'm limping, it must be that God doesn't love me, or if God loves me, it should mean that I don't have any pain. And we've both lived enough life to know that that's not the case, and that's not the gospel either. That's right. Yeah, and um, we think. If you're limping, or you, you kind of just think you you don't you're not moving forward at all. But I like the idea of limping too, just because it's movement forward. It's just it's limping, um, yeah. and I I I don't want to stay put. I'm I'm not in the fetal position anymore, but the movement forward is not what it used to be. I've got baggage I didn't have before, but um, so does everybody else. I really think, you know, we think that when we suffer that we're the anomaly, we're the odd one, but we're not, we're not. We just tend to alienate ourselves and don't realize that we're actually the norm. 
Yeah. Wendy, even as you were talking, I, I remember having a conversation with a friend once who signed up for a triathlon and he was reading the, the rules of the race. And one of them said like, you're allowed to cross a finish line by walking, running, or crawling. And I remember him saying like, wow, I really, <laughs> I really hope it doesn't get to that, but it's good to know that that's an option. And I think that it's really beautiful to hear you say, hey, there, there's no shame in crawling if that's the only way forward we can find. Absolutely. That's so good. That's so good. Wendy, talk about what it was like to walk your kids through it, because you talked about not only was there the trauma of them watching their dad try to find a way forward uh, through his illness, but there was also the uh, the marriage that was unraveling simultaneously. What what was it like to to parent and love and shepherd them through that season? Yeah, it was a tension between um, wanting to shield them as much as possible. Um, while also being honest with them about what they were witnessing. I actually had a therapist tell me, it was really good advice, but she said, don't cause them to doubt their reality. In mm. other words, if they saw their dad doing something that was abnormal, I it, there was not benefit in me denying that it was abnormal. Mm. You know, So if you're having a conversation with someone who's not there, that's not normal. And it would be important for me not to cause them to doubt reality or their sense of reality. But for the most part, we, Andy and I were able to not bring it in front of them much. And we were able to shield them a good deal from it. Um, but there definitely came moments of pretty deep grief for them, especially when we separated. And I had the maturity, and maybe somebody taught me this along the way, but I did know that I needed to not try to talk them out of the grief, but to grieve with them mm -hmm. and not, not be threatened by their grief. Like their grief didn't mean I was a bad mother or that I made the wrong choice. Their grief was because this is sad. And as much as I wanted to protect them from it or cause them not to feel grief, what I instead did was cry with them and hug them and pray with them and not minimize it. Mm. And we walked through the grief together. And um, I think that was about the, about the healthiest way we could deal with it. It's good to hear you say that, Wendy, because I think that just in my own life, there's, there's been no greater pain than watching my kids hurt. And right. I realize that sometimes unconsciously, what I realize is that I'm trying to alleviate their hurt so that I don't have to hurt. Like it's not that, right. that, that I want, I want, if they could stop crying, I would feel better about myself and my own life. Uh, because to your point, sometimes we go back to blaming ourselves to be able to say, oh, if I had done X, Y, or Z differently, then this, this burden would not have befallen my child or our family. And that's, you and I both know that's a, that's a, a natural sense, but it's a dead end road. And right. I, I love the fact that you're reminding me and you're reminding those of us who are listening today that it requires a ton of courage and a lot of our vulnerability to uh, let our kids be where they are and not need them to be somewhere else. Yeah, that's exactly it. I like how you put that. That was and and you know, it was very easy for me to fall into a self-preservation of trying to talk them out of the pain or distract them from it. But it was ultimately about protecting myself from feeling bad and hurting for them. But in the end, 
hurting with them and us walking through it together was a healthy way to process it. And I think, you know, maybe I'm sure they'll be going to therapists in their twenties and thirties about some, some ball I've dropped along the way, but overall I feel like they're reasonably healthy in how they have processed it to this point. Wendy, it sounds like you made a very conscious commitment when you talked about the therapist giving you permission to let your kids stay anchored in reality. It, it sounds like you made a strong commitment to figuring out a way to honor your husband's dignity, but at the same time, allow your kids to question his behavior when it was right or healthy to do so. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I really loved and respected my husband and this onset of symptoms was very shocking to me. Then after the onset, I could look back and see a progression that I had maybe been in denial of for a while. But overall, I mean, I really got that his brain was doing something to him. And something was sparking in his brain. And sometimes it was hard not to take it personally. I mean, he said some really hurtful things toward me over the years and that I've, I've had to really release and let go. But I did have the strong pervasive sense that this was not the brain of the man I married. You know, this was his brain doing something to him. And if I could talk to my husband from five years ago and ask him, how, how do you want me to handle this? Or how can I help you? I mean, you, I think he would just say, please, you know, walk with me through it and try not to give up on me. And so I, I loved him and I was able to not take a lot of it personally. Um, and that was helpful to me. That's so good. Wendy, what what do you say to other other families who might be processing this type of issue and therapies maybe not been part of their family history or their backstory or for whatever reason, culturally or theologically, there's still some stigma about reaching out for mental health resources. What what do you say to people who might be open to taking the that step for help for the first time, but but aren't aren't sure how to go about it? Well, I, I think it's good to ask around people that you respect of um, recommendations of someone to talk to, get a lot of, talk to a lot of people, and then you are the ultimate judge of the advice you get. So don't talk to people and feel an inevitable pressure to do exactly what they say. You judge it against what you know of scripture and what you know of your situation. Every person Struggling with mental illness does not respond in the same way. Every person is not dangerous and every person is not safe. You have to take whatever advice and um, knowledge you get and evaluate it against your circumstances and then have confidence to act in that moment. But also know that it is not ultimately up to you to figure out a perfect path. And, and God has grace for us when we stumble unawares. And then also when we like make like a selfish mistake, but God has grace on us and he is not going um, 
He's not holding an anvil over your head waiting on you to drop the ball. And I think that's kind of a, a grace that we need to speak to ourselves over and over again because, I mean, maybe not everybody, but I went to these places of guilt regularly and found myself regularly thinking, you know, if I drop the ball, it's all going to go to heck in a handbasket, you know, sure, uh, sure, that it was all up to me to make the right choices. And it's not. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of pressure to have to carry. And, and Jesus says something about making sure that we remember that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's right. That's right. Wendy, if people got questions about your ministry or want to learn more about uh, your writing or your story, where, where can they go to, to get more, more information? Theologyforwomen.org. Perfect. Well, Wendy, thanks again for your time today. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And I know your story has been an encouragement to me, and I'm confident that it will be to our listeners as well. Well, thank you too, Steve. I always enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.